In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy, who's just trying to run a small business, is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Buddy. Huey Lewis from the very heart of the 80s, 1986, from his very famous Four album. Four as in, look out, I just hit a golf ball your way, not as in the number. And uh, you and I have had a good friend that's been on our mind uh, over this weekend quite a bit. And when I was thinking about him, Hip to Be Square uh, popped to mind. And I think it is a fitting tribute. I think it is as well, my friend. I think it is as, uh, as well. Huey Lewis, I used to see him at Momo's across the uh, street from Pac Bell Park before ah. the Giants games. He'd be getting, uh, it, it, you know, they had when they just opened Pac Bell Park is when I worked out there. And uh, he would be at Momo's uh, filling his tank, so to speak, before he went over and watched <laughs> the uh, Giants play. Ah, good for him. I had forgotten that he was a, uh, a Bay Area guy. Avid, so uh, avid, avid Giants fan, big fan of uh, your friend of mine, Barry Bonds. I oh. think you once said the greatest ball player ever to uh, don a pair of tights. And uh, I, I don't know that I would agree with that, but that's uh, your opinion. And I yeah, the greatest ball it. player ever to wear a size 10 and a half fitted cap. <laughs> fitted cap yeah. when starting with a size 12 and a half with the yeah. uh, Pirates. Uh, so you got David Pridham here and Brad Sheaf. We are back yet again this week. In the middle of the month of May. And of course, Brad, as always, we mean business. Indeed. And we're asking you to follow us uh, on our InstaFace, Twitter, Facebook, and everything else to TikTok. I think we have. As you know, I remodeled my home a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and I put in one of these really fancy uh, showers, right? These fancy Kohler mm-hmm. uh, showers where you know, normally you go into a shower, you turn the knob or the mixer and you get the right temperature and then you turn whatever to, to get the thing flowing and then you get in the shower. Mm-hmm. I got the touchpad. Yeah, the touchpad. Really? So I've got the, oh yeah, the fancy oh, cool. touchpad. You have yeah. not been, you have not been in my shower. No, I, 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 for all kinds of good reasons, I've not been in your shower, but now I'm thinking about it. I, yeah, I think you, next time you're here, you may have to come in. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this is you go and you touch the buttons, you pick the exact temperature you want the shower to be at, you pick which you get nozzles coming out of the wall, uh, oh, the regular okay. shower, the ceiling, the floor. I mean, they're coming all over the place. Like there's mm. water just, just just shooting at you. It's sort of like mm. you're in one of those Matrix movies, only you're getting clean at the same time. Or a car wash. One or a two. car wash or a yeah. car wash. Mm. And so, you know, you touch this thing and everything, it takes care of everything for you. So you don't mm. have to worry about a thing. You know, you are clean, look at split. You've got everything, uh, everything you need at the touch of a finger. And it's, it's, it's very efficient. It's great. So about a week ago, this thing started going off on its own, right? So the middle of the night, <laughs> you start hearing. <laughs> that would be startling, going. buddy, if you heard your shower going off in the middle of the night. Yeah. So I, I go in the, this was about a week ago. I go into the, 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 the bathroom and there's steam everywhere. 
and this thing is just fired up and 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 going. So I said, okay, well maybe that's a one off, and that has it become self aware, perhaps. It, it, it may be part of the IPDA network, and so now it's actually taking a different approach, right? So it doesn't come out on its own. You go in there, you push the buttons, you get it all set, it goes, and then you can't turn the thing off. Okay, that's not uh, that's not what you're looking for. No, and if only you had like a, a knob to turn or, or, right, or something, yeah. you, you could turn it off. But I don't have that. See, I have this no. really cool display. And I should have known something was up about a month ago when it wouldn't allow me to set the time. It was mm. just randomly mm. setting the time to different places on uh, <laughs> Earth. And uh, now it's just it just it, the shower coming down from the ceiling doesn't stop. So what you have to do to stop the showers, you have to go into the closet, take all the clothes out of one of the closets, mm-hmm. take a panel off of the wall, which is, mm. of course, screwed on. Mm-hmm. You then have to go about three feet taller than I am uh, to reach these two little shutoff valves. You shut off the cold, you shut off the high, and then that shuts off the water, which takes care of your problem until the next time you need to take a shower. Because then the next right. time you need to take a shower, you go back, you turn the nozzles on, of course, mm-hmm. psh, it starts coming down. Then you got to go over, you touch your touchpad because it still somewhat controls the temperature. And then mm-hmm. you get in the shower, do your business. Then you go back into the closet and do the two shutoff valves again. Mm-hmm. So I have this image of you teetering naked on a step stool, trying to get your shower on, which is disturbing on quite a few levels. But I would stay out of that shower. To me, it sounds a little bit like the Terminator, and it's becoming self-aware. And if it decides one day to just scald you and not stop, I mean, you've got problems. It's very difficult to negotiate sternly when you're being sprayed nonstop with boiling water. Most people will knuckle under in that circumstance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's possibly in my future. I did contact the good people at Kohler, and uh, they are sending a part. Of course, it's back ordered and being made in the province of Shenzhen, so mm-hmm. uh, it'll be ready. I think they're saying sometime mid July. Uh, next, Brad, we've got the two big news items of the week that small business owners have to be ready for. Um, We've already sort of given you the tip on these Kohler touchscreens, so we won't talk mm-hmm. about that anymore. Mm-hmm. But we've been talking about the Elon Musk <clears throat> purchase of Twitter for some time. And this is a $44 billion purchase. He's taking over the Twitter sphere. Of course, we're on Twitter at IP underscore frequently. Um, but now the, he has tapped the brakes, Brad, on that acquisition because he is saying that about half of all Twitter accounts are bots. And bots, as you know, are giant robots that uh, tweet via old uh, Commodore PCs. Uh, Apparently these giant robots account for more than 50% uh, according to a filing with the uh, SEC of all of uh, Twitter's users, tweeters, if you will. Uh, So this is a big problem, Brad. And it looks like perhaps Elon Musk is gonna be backing out of this deal. He'll pay the, uh, if he he does back out, I think he has a billion dollar, $1 billion breakup fee. But of course he's made uh, quite a bit more than that on the stock since he first uh, uh, announced the takeover plan. So uh, what do you think about this, Brad? Giant robots tweeting, um, Elon Musk not being a fan of that and pot- potentially walking away from the Twitter. Well, buddy, he's first and foremost a genius. I mean, I love the $1 billion breakup fee. It sounds like a ton of money. And for the vast majority of human beings, it is. It's the only reason I'm still married is because I made Krista sign a $1 billion breakup fee. And so she can't really get out of this. But when you think about what he's done here, right, he's he's 
clearly manipulated the stock, but not in a way that the SEC can come after him for. And he's also using it as a mechanism to sort of unveil just how jacked up Twitter really is, right? Like, I, I, I mean, I guess from what you said, if you had read some of their SEC filings, I guess you could dive into that and find out for yourself that maybe up to 50% of all the accounts, I guess, on Twitter are, are bots, but no one's doing that, right? I mean, absolutely no one is doing that. And so by virtue of Musk diving into this thing, he, he now has a very reasonable excuse for airing some things about Twitter that people just have no idea about, making them look absolutely foolish, dropping, you know, if he backs out of this deal, I don't know what that stock's going to go to, but it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of seven and a half cents. And at the same time, just making all the folks that are currently running Twitter look like absolute hypocritical morons. And you just got to tip your cap. I mean, I, I know nothing about Elon Musk other than he's the CEO of the Tesla, you know, battery powered cars. And he does something, you know, he's in love with space and he's launching stuff into space left, right and center and good for him. Uh, but I know nothing about the guy. But just from watching him manipulate this whole thing to the tune of billions of dollars and just make, you know, very, uh, I don't know if important is the right word, but certainly influential people in the big tech world just look like dopes. I mean, you again, you just have to tip your cap. Yep, I think it's a, it's a remarkable move and it, and it is truly pulling back the kimono, if you will, on what's going on at uh, Twitter. I mean, there are, I don't know if there are 50%, but there are tons of bot, uh, bots that are, that are tweeting, that are pushing products. And I mean, whether it be in tweets or whether it be in comments to tweets or whether it be in how they drive these uh, monetization formulas, but all of it seems to be kind of foobar and it, none of it makes any sense except for Brad, the uh, kind of Ric Flair, the nature boy, the greatest WWEF, CW champion of all time, that all seems to be real. Yeah, well, as it's always has been. Amen. Next, Brad, the second news story of the week. This is something everyone obviously has to pay attention to. <clears throat> as you know, when you take a look at movies, and, and in particular, large, big, uh, big uh, blockbuster films like the summer hit uh, Top Gun, which is coming out, I think, uh, soon, relatively soon, um, there are certain movies that have proven more deadly than others. And um, so one of those movies, I mean, obviously you have these, um, the, these tales of the dark side and the, and the, 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 the Friday, the 13th, the diehard film where they blew up the plane, but I'm talking about this sort of um, unnecessary violence that's triggered by a movie. And there's no movie where you see more of this than the movie, the Titanic. And obviously I'm referring to the iconic scene in the movie Titanic where uh, Kate Winslet and the lovely Leonardo DiCaprio go to the front of the Titanic <clears throat> and sort of stand up there and put their arms up and, and purport to be the king and queen of the world as the Titanic races towards its deadly encounter, Brad, with that, uh, that iceberg. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've done some research. Our staff has looked into this. There have been thousands of incidents 
where uh, individuals have done that on a boat. I think I actually, when we went out, you and I on the high sea in Rhode Island a couple of summers ago, I believe you and our good dear friend, Eric, recreated that scene Eric, uh, from, uh, from California. Um, and that was touching, a little disturbing, but touching and y'all both survived it. But apparently there are thousands of incidents where people just don't make it through the, uh, the recreation of the Titanic King of the World scene. Well, Brad, this past week in Turkey, uh, the, uh, the this is sort of starting to spread. And we now have an incident where this has taken human life uh, from us while on dry land. And uh, I, I'll, I'll refer you to our, our dear friends, Firkin Citadel and his lover, Minnie Dinar. Um, mm. They went on the Izmit Marina Pier and they wanted to recreate the scene. And you would think, listen, I'm going to go to the end of the pier. I'm not on a boat, right? Nope. I'm not subject to the whims of the sea. And um, of course, they had been consuming copious amounts, Brad, of alcohol all day on Sunday as they uh, wandered around the pier and its various sundry attractions. Uh, well, they both, of course, were taken by the sea, uh, but uh, Denier was rescued in the net of a local fisherman, but Sifikti uh, did not make it. He drowned. He makes him, I believe, the 20,000th or so victim of this titanic king of the world um curse uh but brad this is the first victim on dry land what what say is this something that as a small business owner that keeps you up at night well i you know alcohol and peers just don't mix i mean i think most small business owners are aware of that i i rarely see small business owners getting their employees boozed up and then marching them to the end of a pier simply because you know, it's just sort of one of the things they teach you in small business management school. But you do have to be careful. I guess the last thing I would, you know, sort of caution and I guess, you know, to a certain extent encourage is if you're going to do that, Eric does make a shocking Kate Winslet. Well, there it is, uh, Brad. Uh, that's a lot for everyone to think about. Next, Brad, of course, the big U.S. News and World Report rankings are out. And again, everyone is always asking us, David and Brad, where should I move or start my small business? Uh, where is the best place in this country to live and to uh, you know, raise a family, have your, your staff moved in, your, your team, your executive team? Uh, and, uh, and so we typically just punt and say, look at the U.S. News and World Report rankings. That Correct. can't be all wrong. Uh, so of course, it ranks the top places in the U.S. to live uh, based on a number of criteria, uh, job market, housing affordability, quality of life, um, desirability. Yeah, and I, which I think was probably one of the criteria used by the husband of the Black Widow and net migration, which means more people in than out. And so this year, Brad, of course, the winners have been announced, the top 10. Everyone always waits for this. I, I, I think I've moved four times right after these um, rankings were announced to one of the top five cities. I think, yeah, I, I think that's I, the way you do it, buddy. That's, that's, that's how, how you I do get it. to Pacifica, California, I think. Yeah, exactly. So this year, Brad, the top 10 places are in. Do you want, would you care to guess the top uh, um, city in the U.S. to live, according to U.S. News and World Report? I, you know what? But let me ask this first before I, I are they big? Because if it's like any small town in America, I have no shot. No, you'll get y'all. Every one of these cities, you know. Of oh, the top okay. Um, let's see. Well, Denver's got to be in there somewhere, right? Incorrect. Not top 10. No, that's incorrect. Ah, well, then I, you know what, buddy? Obviously, I don't know. 
I mean, this is good cable uh, radio right here. You just guessing randomly, cities randomly cities no. that I nope. know of in the United States. Not that yeah. one. Poughkeepsie. No. Nope. No. Nope. Peoria. No. So, Brad, it's Huntsville, Alabama, number one place to live in the U.S. I have actually been to Huntsville, Alabama. That is where the Redstone Arsenal is. Are you prepared to move there? No. Okay. Next, next, near and dear to your heart, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Colorado Springs is a good spot. I I went to college there. I have a daughter that's going to college there. So we've been there quite a bit. I, I would live in Colorado Springs. So that's one. What about number three, Green Bay, Wisconsin? Nope. That's in the no. Green Bay. Very cold. Boulder, Colorado, number four. Uh, also a cool town. Very liberal. So perhaps, you know, not your and my cup of tea per se, but a cool town. That's a no, though. You're not going to move there. Yeah, not 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 for me. Yeah. San Jose, California. Great no. Italian food in the square. Brad, great. No, Italian food. I, I, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, you and I have both experienced, you know, much to our uh, our regret. Uh, but no, San Jose is a no for me. Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina comes in at number six. That's a good town. That's a good. I'm not an East Coast guy, as you know, but but I have been to Raleigh, Durham, and I like it. So you would move there. You would Uh, in a pinch if if you but you told me I had to live there, I would not be disappointed. Fayetteville, Arkansas. No. Portland, Maine. No. Sarasota. Oh no! Whoa, whoa! I I take it back. I'm sorry. you, You said Portland. I immediately heard Oregon. Portland, Maine is a cool town. But again, it's get gets mighty darn cold up there in the winter. Sarasota, Florida, Don and Fuente, of course, dear friends of the show are down there, and that's that's a yes. All right. I'll I'll take it as a yes from you. <clears throat> and then and then your favorite and mine, your old stomping grounds, number 10, San Francisco, California. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, now, now the fix is in. You and I have been to San Francisco in the relatively near past. We have a good friend who commutes there. On a regular basis, that town is a dump. It's a dump, David, a dump. It's a dump. Well, listen, and then you have, of course, the 10 most dangerous places at the flip side of the list. Memphis, Tennessee, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Anchorage, Alaska. I believe you spent some time there. Well, it's only dangerous because there are dangerous, you know, natural (laughs) critters in Anchorage, Alaska. I did. I Uh, spent uh, spent a couple of years there when I was a kid. I liked it then. But Bakersfield, California. No, no, no. Little Rock, Mm, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Corpus Christi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the site of the PGA this year, Brad, the PGA Championship, Columbus, uh, South Carolina, and Kalamazoo are the 10 most dangerous places. I would say those two lists are a lot more comparable than uh, people would have us. uh, Yeah, buddy, when they say dangerous, is that because of of criminal activity or, you know, you might tumble off a cliff or you might get hit by a tornado. I mean, what, what constitutes the danger in those 10 cities? Do we know? I don't know. I think it's the flip side of the same criteria that we've been, uh, we've been hearing about. I, I'm not exactly sure. Again, I, every time I've moved based on the U S news and world report rankings, I've been sorely, sorely disappointed. So, you know, again, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if um, I would be the best person to to give you life advice like this, but at the same time, I don't think any of those cities would really tickle my fancy. None of them, not one, except maybe Sarasota. Maybe Sarasota. Well, you know, buddy, I don't know that you've been to either Boulder or Colorado Springs. Those are cool towns. I think you would like them, but I, I, I mean, all you have to hear is that some dope put San Francisco in the top ten cities which obviously don't have to be huge cities. I mean, Boulder is not a big town. Green Bay is not a big town. 
the fact that somebody put San Francisco in the top 10 either means they're not paying any attention at all or they have an odd sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, it could be or it could be a combination of the two, but San Francisco and San Jose—that's just that's just yeah. Troubling. San Jose, San Jose Very has troubling. never been a good town to live in ever. No, San Francisco I, was once a gorgeous town, is not now. But San Jose, come on. Well, they have that nice Italian place, Vic. Remember Vic? Oh, I remember Vic. Vic was wearing the same suit every time we went to see him, and it had not been laundered once. He just served some mulligatawny, mulligatawny. Uh, next, Brad, we go to the Biden watch this week. Passing of the torch in the White House. The new press secretary has taken over. Pisaki, Jen Pisaki is gone. She's now on MSNBC making buku bucks. Um, she's her own version of the Black Widow. She has been replaced by Karine Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre, sounds like a pirate. Karine Jean-Pierre, she is a uh, uh, the, the replacement for Jen Psaki. She is... Um, an advocate for uh, the woke populist uh, um, liberals in the uh, that have sort of taken over this nation's uh, capital as the MAGA people have left and um, uh, held her first press briefings this past week. Now, of course, Corinne Jean-Pierre is married to CNN political reporter Suzanne Malveaux. So Suzanne and Corrine are married, and um, and so this is sparking controversy throughout Washington because there may be a conflict of interest if the White House press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, is married to the lovely Suzanne Malveaux at CNN. And uh, this is a conflict of interest that's been raised by several watchdog groups, including those that criticized Chris Cuomo and his relationship with his brother, non-sexual, I assume, when he was going through his uh, scandals in uh, the New York governor's mansion up in Albany. So, Brad, how do you feel so far? You've seen, obviously, Corrine Jean-Pierre in action. Uh, she's taken over for Jen Psaki. It's hard to believe someone could be more annoying than Psaki, but uh, it seems like we may have a good candidate here. Uh, and again, um, with her and her wife, Suzanne Malveaux, is this a conflict you think they can overcome? Well, but I, unfortunately, I've yet to see the new press secretary in action because I, in an effort to keep myself from, you know, swallowing rat poison or hurling myself over a cliff, I try to avoid watching White House press conferences. But I, I mean, this White House, for all of Biden's commentary at the outset about how he was going to change Washington and he, you know, he's going to treat everybody nicely and it was all going to be transparent above board. There is not an interest they cannot conflict, period. I mean, the, the number of conflicts of interest in that administration is astounding. It's, it's almost to the point where if you were trying to create conflicts of interest, you would have to be on top of your game just to keep up. So I, I, and apparently that's fine, right? I mean, you know, no one really seems to be terribly upset about that. And so, you know, I don't think that this particular conflict of interest is going to be the one that sort of is the straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. So I think to answer your question, no, I don't think it's going to be a problem, uh, but I do wonder about the choice, right? Again, I have not seen her. I presume she is at least well-spoken. I presume she can take a question. I presume she has some background in you know, the mass media markets and, and how to manage that, et cetera. I, I know nothing about her. 
But I, I, I guess if the president himself is not going to come out and speak, or when he does, he just blows it eight ways to Sunday, you do want to get someone who is going to be able to message on your behalf, right? I mean, typically you think of the White House press secretary being someone who simply states, hey, this is what the president has said, or this is the position of the administration, or reiterates you know, commentary that the president you know, himself has made in the past. Um, but in this administration, they are effectively the message-er, right? They, they, the message originates with the White House press secretary and goes on from there, no matter how many times they may say, well, you know, uh, uh, President Biden has you know, always been about behind this, uh, his entire political nonsense. You're making that up as you go along. Everybody knows it. Half the time you're speaking, you're actually contradicting something that the president said in a moment of you know foolishness or dementia. And so I get that. I mean, I guess you can't blame the press secretary for having to be the one that goes, wait a minute, that may not be what the president of the United States meant to say, but you, you've really kind of gone over the top when you have selected someone who is so obviously politically motivated and so obviously extreme in her views. And I'm not, I'm not in, accusing her of any you know, disingenuousness. She may hold those views honestly and dearly, but you've alienated half the electorate the moment you put her up in that room. And, and if that's your intention, good for you, you've done it. But if it wasn't, I mean, what what happened to just getting somebody up there who the press, you know, respects, comes out of that world, who will speak, you know, honestly and directly, who will say, I don't know when they don't know, and who will just, you know, deliver a, you know, sort of meaningful message that people can then debate. I, we haven't had that in years. Yeah, I um I'll just say, Brad, and I listened to all of that. I just received a rather disturbing text um, that, quote, this plumber guy said he doesn't know how long this will take or if he can fix it at all. So again, um, just for those of you trying to get an update on the um, uh, on the, the big story of the day, the Kohler touchpad, um, it, it doesn't appear to be going well. Buddy, we're going to have to get on the uh, show's InstaFace and let people know the model number of that thing. You want to avoid that thing. I mean, it is the terminator of shower systems. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is disturbing um, on a number of different levels uh, and uh, rather unfortunate. But, uh, you know, this is the price you pay for the life you choose. You want a touch screen in the shower, you get burned. Yeah. Well, buddy, I appreciate your uh, your brave approach to the problem. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just trying to weather through. Uh, next, Brad, we've got unsolved mysteries this week. Uh, and, and again, this is every week we go and we solve mysteries. I think we've mm -hmm. solved the Atlantis mystery, JFK assassination. And this is where people just take it out of play, right? You don't even have to discuss it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's over. over. It's Put over. a pin in it. Yeah. Put a pin in it. This week, Brad, aliens, uh, of course, uh, Congress several years ago had ordered the Pentagon to put up or shut up with its evidence of uh, um uh, aliens in the sky, alien abductions, aliens crossing the border. Space aliens, right? Space yeah. aliens, yes. Yeah, okay, not yeah. not illegal immigrants, migrants, not migrants, mm -hmm. unclassified migrants, Brad. Space mm -hmm. aliens. Space aliens, correct. Um, okay. You know, bring me to your leader. But Morgan, think, think uh, Robin Williams, Morgan Mindy, and not right, not right, right, Orson. Right, Orson. Right. Um, anyway, Brad, uh, this week we've had those hearings in Congress. The Pentagon has showed Congress 
shows Congress the evidence that declassified videos of mysterious objects flying through the sky, flying past pilots. There have been over 400 unidentified aerial phenomena in the past uh, year or so, including 11 near misses. That's 11 near misses. That doesn't account what happened uh, uh, for it doesn't account for what happened on the pier in Turkey. Um, but this is the first UFO hearing in 50 years. And it was uh, it was troubling. Uh, as part of this hearing, there appears to be a cover up in the uh, Pentagon uh, over at Old Foggy Bottom, Brad, um, mm. where uh, people have been telling uh, the folks on the front lines here fighting the aliens uh, to, quote, keep your mouth shut. Uh, Army veterans have recounted that they were told to stay quiet even when they were testifying to Congress, uh, even when they were directly in front of a, quote, alien craft. Brad, three former U.S. cavalrymen have come forward claiming they saw UFOs while serving in the Sinai Desert on the Israeli-Egyptian border. They say their superiors told them to keep quiet and not tell the Congress people about it. Men and women, Brad, and some non-binary uh, about this spaceship they saw in December 2014. Sergeant Travis Bingham, E-4 specialist, uh, visual uh, Singh and Private First Class Devel Ungram were all stationed near the border. They saw eight bright objects in the sky. They saw space aliens, Brad, uh, flying saucers, incredible speeds. These things were just zipping through the sky. They are trained at identifying all types of aircraft and said they believe, this is under oath, Brad, that the objects they witnessed were non-human in origin, including the little green men. Uh, as Ingram said, I was scared shitless. Um, that's a quote. That's a quote. That's not inappropriate. It's a quote mm -hmm. from a congressional hearing. These mm -hmm. cavalrymen um, complained they had no way to report this until this congressional hearing. And now this is off their chest. So, Brad, you were part of the military industrial complex for many years. Did you ever encounter any of these otherworldly ships or these space aliens, any ET like creatures we need to know about? Well, not that I'm allowed to talk about. I mean, I think that's that's really all I can say. I can neither confirm nor deny the alienness of any of the little, uh, you know, green folk who I may or may not have run into over the course of my uh, less than illustrious government career. Have you been to the Sinai Peninsula? I have been to the Sinai Peninsula and things do dart about there, but I, I never found myself to the point of shitlessness. Yeah, I mean that would be a tough place to get. Although five and five sometimes gets you there, uh, but this is a this is a troubling uh, situation where it seems like the government is uh, once again promulgating a conspiracy not seen since the likes of the uh, the Kennedy uh, assassination back in the uh, in the '60s or the great squeaky from squirt gun cover up of the '70s. Brad. So this is something I guess we're going to have to keep our eye on again, the home business owners, the small business owners, people working from home to home, door-to-door uh, -door salesmen, Brad, um, people with mid-sized businesses. This is something they need to know. Are aliens living among us? And if so, where are they? And are they flying in really cool ships? Um, this is something I guess we'll have to put a little bit of a bookmark in, study the transcripts, maybe get one of these folks on, and then we'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, you can learn more about our show and ask us interactive questions on IPFrequently.com and follow us on the InstaFace and the Twitter at IP underscore frequently. But if you're a bot, we need you to follow us at least nine or 10 times, not just once, because obviously you are a bot. Next, Brad, um, 
we go into, we promised everyone would be monitoring the election of 2022. Obviously, that's very important to everyone out there in the small business community. Uh, and the ratings are out at this point, Brad, for the um, uh, big actors and, and entities in our um, uh, in our uh, land, people that are going to be shaping the electoral map over the next few years. And um, it appears that uh, the people that are the most popular and the least popular are the people that are at the uh, front and center of our um, uh, daily lives. Uh, the most unpopular politician on a national scale, you guessed it, our vice president, Kamala Harris, Brad, 31% uh, approval rating, 48% disapproved. Do you agree or disagree? You think that's a little low? But I think somehow she's, you know, pulling a higher grade than she deserves. I mean, I, I, I again, you say, say whatever you will about her career, how she got where she is, all of that set all of that aside, simply as the vice president of the United States, she has either been a, a horror show or B completely non-existent. So I, I think the fact that she doesn't have at least half of the electorate just shaking their heads, only 48%. I mean, I realize 31% approval rating is the pits, but still she is not over 50% disapproval. So I think she's probably pulling, you know, a, a, you know, D minus when she probably should have an F. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's uh, impressive. I mean, her, I, I'm pretty stunned that her disapproval isn't over 50%. Um, but that's because people don't even care about her, I guess. Uh, the Democratic Party, Brad, scored a 31% approval rating and 50% disapproval. This is an NBC News poll, very liberal organization. Yeah. President Joe Biden, Brad, he, um, compared to the other two in terms of his approval rating, much better at 37%. <laughs> and his disapproval, of course, unfortunately, is at 51%. Oh, my gosh. I mean, but I, I don't, again, you are more of a political scientist than I am. Um, you you actually enjoy that arena to a certain extent. Um, I, I don't, if you're the Democratic Party, and near as I can tell, and again, I, I readily admit, I don't read a lot of the news. I get up every morning. I look at the headlines just to make sure we're not at war or that the space well, aliens I'm not allowed to talk about haven't you know, taken over one aspect of the planet or another. Uh, that's it. Once I've assured myself neither of those two things have occurred, I move on with my day. But, but I, I honestly don't get how if you're the Democratic Party and you're looking at those numbers that have come from a poll that is being taken by a, an overtly and unapologetically liberal outlet, how you are not just scrambling to do anything you can to change your narrative, change your approach, you know, reconnect yourself to the American people, whatever it takes. And, and I realize this is you know, in the realm of, of the fanciful when it comes to politics these days, but even perhaps go so far as to say, huh, maybe we're really not doing a good job. Maybe the American people and their collective wisdom are sending us a message that we have been acting like absolute idiots for the last eh, six years at a minimum, right? I mean, I realize no one's going to be that introspective. Everybody's going to point the finger someplace else. I, I, a man can dream. But even setting that aside, how in the hell do you not look at those numbers and go, we have to push the panic button that should be in David Pridham's shower? 
Well, here, here's how you here's how you do that, Brad. Here's how you don't don't uh, worry about it. You take a look at the ratings of the leading Republican, uh, Donald Trump, thirty six percent approval, one notch below uh, Biden, and his disapproval right there with Biden at fifty one percent. You look at the Republican Party, thirty five percent disapproval, forty six percent. Uh, uh, 35% approval, 46% disapproval. So like a net 11, um, negative 11 yeah. rating. And that's the best one. That's the best yeah. one. Hey, buddy, um, and we keep- how does this happen? I mean, is no one paying attention? Maybe they just think these numbers are made up. I, I don't know. But listen, um, all is not bad. Um, we continue to have a very persuasive, uh, loud minority voice in this country that watches out for people who are injured, whether it be internal or external. But we learn now, Brad, that in the UK, and again, the UK is somewhere where we have seen, uh, really, it's, it's a country at the forefront of unique sets of rights. So for example, weeks ago, when we talked about lobster rights mm-hmm. um, that came out of the UK, banning uh, foie gras, UK, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. These people are at the forefront of everything. Tip of the spear tip of the spear. Now they are focusing on uh, harassment in the workplace, in particular, like sexual harassment is a problem, something that's been around forever. Uh, the term bald, Brad, is one that uh, has been troubling to certainly you for, <clears throat> for a while, uh, me as well. Uh, the term bald and insulting a man for being bald in the workplace now amounts to sexual harassment in the UK. And this comes from a panel of judges in the UK. And it's in, of course, Yorkshire, um, where a oh, they make family- a very fine pudding there. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Uh, the family business, this is the, uh, the, the family of electricians hired a man, Tony Finn, who I believe is uh, a master electrician, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. from Yorkshire. I think I used him before to help us with some uh, recess lighting. Uh, one of his supervisors, Jamie King, apparently looked at him and said, you fat, bald, I can't so say the so. other word. Yeah, yes. you can't say the other word on the, uh-huh. uh, um, but he called him a fat, bald C. And then mm-hmm. he said, hey, you fat, bald C, get up and get over here and I guess hang these lights. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the subject of a suit. Um, this is what we, what's called baldness bashing, Brad. And, mm. and, and they say that it rose to the level of harassment. The judge panel said, uh, the three judge panel, who, by the way, they're all bald, said in our judgment. Yeah, you can't tell, though, because they wear wigs. That's the best part about being a judge. That's, that's why you wear the wig. Exactly. Uh, but, but Brad, this is important. This is from the ruling, quote, in our judgment, there is a connection between the word bald on the one hand and the protected characteristic of sex. On the other, we find it to be inherently related to sex. This is sexual harassment. Pay the man. Uh, so, Brad, uh, obviously, once again, the UK at the forefront of uh, modern um, uh, litigation in the uh, workplace uh, harassment environment. Um, and look, much with the lobster thing, um, it appears that uh, they are on the right side of history here. Well, but of course they are. I mean, obviously, it's the bald that puts you over the top in that string of pejoratives, right? I mean, if you had drawn the line at simply calling the guy a fat C, mm-hmm. you're all set, right? Yeah. I mean, that's appropriate. It's understandable. It's the best way to refer to your employees. It not only gets their attention, but it's motivating. But once you throw in, I mean, nothing is more jarring or alarming to hear spoken than the word bald. 
And of course, it immediately makes you think that someone's trying to come on to you in an inappropriate way, because that happens all the time to both you and I, you know, folks of, of, all, the of all the sexes that there are now. I mean, there used to just be a couple when you and I were kids, but there's like 28 now. Oh, and you and I have both been, both been hit on by any number of those because of our fine, although locks. thinning, locks. And it's disturbing. You do feel harassed when people start banding around very hurtful words like bald. I mean, fat C, everybody, you know, that just rolls off you yeah, like water off a Yorkshire Terrier's back. Yeah. Nobody cares about that. But I think it is critical that the judicial system steps in when you start tossing around words like bald. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how you can look at yourself in the mirror when you've used, used that word. Uh, Brad, uh, of course, we'd like to keep tabs on the royal family, right? The royal family is uh, somebody's um, got to, yeah, somebody has to. Um, and uh, obviously, we've got new um, uh, sightings of the queen. The queen, of course, recently celebrated her um, anniversary. I believe she's been the queen for two hundred fifty years, Brad. So that she is she was remarkable. on the cover of no less than six SI swimsuit issues, most Correct. recently in twenty nineteen, as I recall. Correct, correct. Very attractive, handsome woman mm -hmm. with a full head of hair. Uh, mm -hmm. This week, Brad, she is back in the public spotlight. She has made a surprise appearance uh, at Windsor Castle, uh, where she was presented with a rare horse uh, as a gift from the president of Azerbaijan. Um, the, the lovely horse, the horse was named Glory. It's a Karsbaka horse, Karsbaka, and that's mm -hmm. uh, a typical mm -hmm breed of horses, but it's a stallion. It's a stallion. And um, it, she was heard saying that, quote, the gift was very kind and, and quote, look at that damn horse. So um, uh, again, Brad, the queen is back and she is adding to her horse collection, most of which I think was killed off as part of the um, whole swine flu epidemic. Yeah. I mean, you want to keep the horses safe from the swine flu. And obviously the easiest way to do that is to kill them. And that way they can't get it. It's uh, it's become a very classic approach to public health. But, I, buddy, I you said it was a rare viewing of her at Windsor Castle. Doesn't she live in Windsor Castle, or just the fact that people could see her there was rare? Correct. Yeah. It's time for our final segment, Barter Band, Bronze Stevie Award-winning segment. Everyone wants to know what's going to be Barter Band and what our reaction is going to be this week, Brad. Um, the the Rome. Right, built on the seven hills and oh, the five uh -huh. fishes, uh, uh -huh. lovely city. It's, it's some would say it's the capital of the world, others would not. Um, but uh, Rome has um, had a difficult time recently, and so they have banned. Uh, and look, there, there's nothing better than going to a Roman fountain or a Roman park and having like a little crust of bread, maybe some cheese, you know, a little of pizza, a little of pizza, maybe a little of red wine. Be put a, you know what I mean? You've, you've, you and I have done that before. Indeed. Uh, but of course, Rome has now had to ban picnics, Brad. They've had to ban them. And I don't know if it's coming back anytime soon. And you ask, is this because of COVID or is this because of some um, uh, greater good need of society? Is there some other disease traveling through the population as they picnic in Rome? No. Well, enlighten me. And I've got uh, me Brad, on the veritable edge of my seat. Brad, picnics have, picnics have been banned in Rome and not since 
Jellystone Park with the picnic basket. Uh, mm-hmm. Has there been such a brouhaha about picnics? Picnics have been banned in Rome in a bid to stop incursions of wild boars. Wild boars have, have started to roam the streets of Rome, no pun intended, and they've even attacked uh, various people enjoying their picnic lunch. Uh, most recently, a woman had to fend off the boars as they tried to, uh, I guess, eat her pet dog, Volcano, uh, and they ended up chasing Volcano across a field before she was able to retrieve him and fight off the dogs with her purse, uh, the, the boars with her purse after they ate her picnic lunch. Um, they've set up, now Italy has set up a number of anti-boar red zones as sort of checkpoints to make sure that people are getting through and boars are not. So there's going to be a prevalence of boars having fake IDs. And also this is on top of a new case of African swine flu, which has been detected in a dead boar that they had to kill because it uh, it, it raided a lobster boil. They had um, to kill a dead boar? They had to kill the boar. He was dead, but that's where they found the lobster, the uh, lobster stew, and that's where they found the swine flu, African. Mm. Um, I guess the question is: Should uh, Rome be banning picnics, barring picnics? Uh, should they be checking the IDs of every boar? Should they do spot checks? Um, what if it's just a pig? What if it's not a boar? Uh, so these are things that have to be worked out when developing a policy like this. And our audience wants to know what we think about this. Barter band. Boars have been known for ages to be masters of disguise. And so I, I just think the whole ID checking thing is not going to work. Now, what I think may work better is if you just require each person going on the picnic to carry a vial of African swine flu with them that they can scatter about like a perimeter. And it prevents you from having to get into the messy question we dealt with a couple of weeks ago as to whether or not cartoons rights are being impugned. Because if you don't have picnics in Rome, then the Italian version of Yogi the Bear is left without the kind of sustenance he needs to survive, which is clearly impugning on cartoon rights. In the metaverse, we are already beginning to deal with this. We're creating cartoon courts. Uh, where cartoon judges hold cartoon gavels and bang them on cartoon desks. And so, you know, we're beginning to deal with that in the metaverse, but I don't know that that has reached Italy quite yet. And and what are you going to do with uh, old Yogi over there? Yeah, I don't know. And another concern is a lot of these boars seem to be bald, and then you obviously can't call them a... Well, and that's, I mean, it's clearly sexual harassment. It's, in, it's inappropriate. But listen, this is uh, the, 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 this is where we are. We have to make the hard call. And I'm going to say, Brad, that they're going to need to bar uh, picnics. They probably have to institute a curfew, which they have done in some of the provinces around Rome. Um, And they may have to, at some point, start checking the IDs of all the boars. I think maybe, you know, just spot checks, perhaps, of the boars. We just ask them their intentions, because it could be the boar, again, is going to vote. Could be that he's going to his local newsstand. I, I don't know, but I know you can't do the ID thing. Yeah, I mean, that would be highly inappropriate, highly inappropriate. Well, Brad, there it is. I think we've uh, we've covered a lot here today. And, um, you know, my next step would be to go take a, a, a quick shower and wash all of the swine flu off. But I can't do that. Uh, so I'll probably just go and run through a sprinkler outside. It's always been a joy. You and I grew up in the sprinkler running generation. I encourage all of our listeners to try it. Be on the lookouts for boars. 
And we'll see you back here next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.